0: Argentina a World Cup winners, world champions once again, something we and the nation's support that spreads well beyond its borders, have dreamed about, but after years of disappointment and misfortune, it it started to become increasingly like a pipe dream. The world's greatest player finally gets his hands on the famous trophy, the title that Lionel Messi's brilliance, his desire and his perseverance thoroughly deserved, and for Messi, Lionel Scaloni... And this new group that have come back from the lows of final defeats and the disaster that was 2018. They've managed to build this identity and identify once again with the people and bring back a sense of belief, a sense of pride. And after that long 28-year wait, now not just standing a Copa America, but also a World Cup. We've been hearing muchachos on repeat for weeks and now Argentina do indeed have their third title and their world champions again. Well, it's a pleasure to be joined again by Tom Robinson. And Tom, as I was saying, we didn't necessarily know we'd get this moment, but I'm thoroughly, thoroughly thrilled that we are.
1: Argentina, champions (laughs) of the world. Sounds good, doesn't it, Peter?
0: (laughs) It really does. And as I said, I, I always knew they could, whether they would. I was a little bit more doubtful. And as we talked about yesterday after the game, Particularly because of Messi, you kind of did feel that it could be just that one trophy that got away from him, that one mark on his career that certain people would always want to pull you up on and say, you know, he never won the World Cup. And it's a wonderful feeling that that and so much more has been able to be put to bed now.
1: Yeah, football really gives you not only the capacity for drama that if anyone ever tried to write it it would just sound cheesy and, and way too obvious, but it also gives you those cruel moments where you think that, you know, these things are, are never destined to happen. But everything came together to give that perfect coda on, on Messi's career. And and I think that's what made it, it so powerful. It felt so inevitable that you almost thought that it couldn't happen. <laughs> because football, we've all seen the, the, the horrible moments, the, you know, 2014 and um, many other finals, whoever you support. You, you know, often your team doesn't win. So for this side to, to actually get the job done, despite all the suffering. And again, the final just being yet another microcosm of that struggle that this entire tournament has been with the highs and the lows, the moments where you think it's all gone completely wrong, only just to turn it around. He had absolutely everything. I thought the, the Netherlands game was going to be hard to beat. But yeah, this final was an absolute classic. And uh, yeah, hopefully my voice doesn't go <laughs> by the end of this podcast.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned there the Netherlands game and there were certain similarities, not just because of the fact that it went to penalties, but the fact that for a large part of the game, once again, just as it was in that quarterfinal against the Netherlands, Argentina looked so in control. there with a better team, some brilliant performances, which of course we'll get into. But it just looked so comfortable. And of course, it being Argentina, it couldn't be that way. We had to suffer. And we really did suffer, Tom, when Mbappe came back with those two goals to make it 2-2, then again to make it 3-3. You did just begin to wonder whether or not it could be another heartbreaking evening for Messi and Argentina.
1: Yeah, from what was looking like the... The most complete and best performance that we've seen from Argentina during this tournament. You know, Mbappe in 97 seconds turned the game on its head, and it really just felt quite fittingly a French word, déjà vu, all over again for, for Argentina. But once again, as we as we saw them in the quarterfinals, they did manage to rally themselves. As you said, Argentina got themselves back in the game. Messi scored, um, and it, I think at that point we all thought surely this time they've they've won it, but no, they had to dig deep, go again, and yeah the I think that idea of struggle is such a a key way of looking at this this tournament you know de depaul referenced it after the game, even Aymar as well sort of say one of the journalists was asking him why he's always wearing the same Argentina top. And he was just saying, what a privilege it is to wear it when families have to pay, you know, up to 24 quotas just to be able to afford it in Argentina. So, you know, it's, it's kind of that release of emotion of so many different things. You know, you can go deeper into it, you know, the the struggles that people have in daily life in Argentina, the inflation, the economy, insecurity, COVID obviously as well. And it just felt that not only was that team clearly a team that they'd connected with, but it was they were almost holding up a mirror to the public. And I think that's what, as you mentioned in, the, in your initial um, segment, there that there was that feeling that there's a real connectivity with the, the people and the team, and that was so important. And, and I think why this title is going to be celebrated right up there with obviously any world cup title is going to be celebrated massively. But I think this is one that, that really strikes a, a tune with, with the people, not only that, obviously the Messi's fairy tale, that's obviously what most people are going to be, be feeling. But I think when you, when you talk to Argentinians, when you see Argentinians, it was just that, you know, massive release and, and almost a fit fitting way for them to, to, get their hands on the title, they never seem to do it the easy way and um, and uh, yeah, it's for once they've got over the line and, and provided a whole lot of joy to a lot of people
0: Yeah, and the scenes, not just in Buenos Aires of course the obelisk being the, the epicentre of that and some absolutely astonishing footage that I'm sure everyone's seen um, but that was something mirrored in almost every centre of every neighbourhood in Buenos Aires, outside Buenos Aires, around the country, and, and further afield, um, just an incredible outpouring of, of emotion from anyone who follows Argentina after the, the troubles and the, the, the disappointments that they've had to go through over the last couple of decades. Um, but, Tom, when we look at this, the, the, the final, we were talking in, in advance with a preview of it, of how Argentina may approach it. And we were obviously looking at whether or not they would go with a back five, whether or not they would keep more or less the same team from the semi-finals. We were wondering how fit Angel Di Maria was. And in the end, Lino Scaloni once again tinkered with things, made another big decision in his starting eleven, brought Di Maria in from the start, which many people, including myself, didn't think probably would happen Um Went with that kind of four four two. Put Di Maria on the left as well, rather than the right, to go directly up against Kunde. And have to say, it was another masterstroke from the Argentina manager.
1: Hundred percent. He he definitely surprised me. I, I was definitely expecting maybe him to match up France, but I think what he did with that choice was not only. Take France by a bit of surprise. He'd obviously been training, trying with the back three. I'm sure that would have filtered through to the the French team, but it just showed that they weren't going to be cowed by France's quality. They were they were going to take the game to them. They weren't weren't going to be the underdogs and just try and match them. They would say, you know what, this is what we do. We play this way, and obviously, Di Maria. The absolute star of the of the first hour or so, he was absolutely brilliant. Had Kunde and Dembele on toast there, and again, not that he necessarily needed a a redemptive performance because I think that had been done in the Copper America final, but coming up big when Argentina needed him again, it's as we've said on countless podcasts recently, it's crazy to think how much of a transformation in terms of his. Performances and reputation with the national team, and that was that was a really n- nice subplot to the other bigger subplots in the um, in the game. But certainly, I was I was surprised at how off the pace France seemed in that first hour. I think part of that was definitely the way Scaloni had set up, but there was also that feeling of mm, I wonder if this flu bug that had been going around their camp has has affected them more than that. So I think there was a bit of both. You know, the fact they didn't have a shot on goal until about that 70 minutes in was, was very surprising. But it was just, yeah, it it was as much as a good start from Scaloni in terms of the way he set up. I do think subbing Di Maria off and maybe the lack of substitutions after that did invite France back into the game, as well as France's very proactive subs that they made as well. So, Definitely, Scaloni deserves a lot of credit for a lot of things he's done in this tournament. He's, I think, I still think there's room for for a few improvements, and and he's a, a young manager, the youngest manager at the tournament, and he's still learning his game. But I think he's shown incredible ability to be adaptable throughout the tournament, realizing when things aren't going, tweaking it, and and yes, we've got to give a, a lot of credit to him. But I think. One thing that, that really stands out about the game is even in its own merit, if you take away all the other messy narratives, Mbappe narratives, um, all the other tiny subplots that I'm sure we'll go into as well, you know, it, just on that level, you could say it was a, one of the best games of all time. And then you throw on those narratives and it just takes a significance that elevates it even further. So, I mean, what a, an amazing way to to win a game of football, a third title, and to uh, yeah, put well, maybe not a full stop on Messi's career, but uh, <laughs> but certainly the, the one of the crowning moments.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll come on to Messi's career um, and and what may be to come. But you're absolutely right. I mean, as a game, as, as a final, many people saying the best final of of certainly our generation, um, and just everything that you want from that kind of game. Some moments of absolute quality. The game going one way than the other, delivering on the drama, and by the time when it went to penalties, you, you almost felt as though it—it it certainly delivered on the drama, but it was almost unfair for one of these two sides to lose by by such a way cause <laughs> such, It such such a great game, um, the quality that Argentina showed, as I alluded to there, though in that first, particularly the first half. Um, Tom really was probably the, the level that we'd been waiting to see for, for large parts of this tournament. We knew they'd, they'd need to to show that against the best opposition they'd come up against, this French team. Um, but it was a brilliant first half. We talked already about Di Maria and his wonderful resurgence with the national team over the last couple of years, the goal in the Copa America final and his performance. Perhaps in, in Scaloni's defence, Di Maria is still not absolutely 100% fit to be able to do the 90 minutes and maybe it was already decided we'll give him 60 rather than what many of us thought more likely to be 30 at the end of the game depending on how things were going um so maybe that's some explanation of that but certainly for the time he was on the pitch just so dangerous almost every time he got the ball he gave argentina that ability to get forward very very quickly as we talked about him or Argentina lacking that in some of the games when he was missing earlier in the tournament. Um, and that was characterised perfectly with the brilliant, brilliant second goal. And you talk about the quality in the game, that goal w- was the moment, There's the speed with which Argentina broke through France. McAllister getting that little turn around the corner from Messi and then squaring the ball for Di Maria to get that moment in the final. It was just absolutely superb.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's everything... That when Argentina are really on it, they show how just devastating they can go forward. There's certainly, been times in the tournament where you'd think maybe they could move the ball a bit quicker. Maybe that's been slightly because of the teams they've come up against who who don't offer them the same space that that France um, offered up. But yeah, just the fact I think there was four first time touches in in the sort of five passes that made its way through. And yeah, as you said that. That touch second touch from Messi just was incredible the way it just opened the entire pitch up. But obviously you've got to credit the other players involved in that goal as well. Alvarez releasing McAllister. McAllister just carrying on that lung busting run and, and the fact that he's one of these midfielders who's willing to run in behind just again highlighted his his work rate, his sacrifice, you know, him, Enzo and and Julian coming into this the squad as has absolutely revolutionized and changed an Argentina side that was looking like it was struggling in the early games. So it was great to see him get there. And then obviously Di Maria with that really clever finish where he just kind of knocks it into the ground to give it that little hop over Loris's body. Um, Something that we've, you know, we've seen plenty of players at, probably Ozil being the, the, the the guy who most associate with that kind of finish, but yeah, absolutely brilliant. And yeah, you can't ask more from from that. So it was, it was a shame that um, they they couldn't keep it up. It even though I think we we all know that two nil is a is a potentially dangerous scoreline. Certainly for Argentina in this tournament, you just really didn't see where it was coming from. But it, it almost seems very unfair that it had to be um, Otamendi who who made that mistake for for the penalty after after what a great tournament he's had.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was virtually the first mistake of the tournament, wasn't it? We were talking in the previous episode about how good he's been, um, even into the final. You still saw comments of people saying, can't believe Nicolas Otamendi is still playing at centre-back in a World Cup final for Argentina. But he was absolutely superb throughout the tournament. He made that mistake, which, which gave France that way back in, 10 minutes from time for the penalty. And... Suddenly, the game did change. Argentina, again, not responding brilliantly. But you have to give France credit as well. They'd made those positive changes that you you mentioned earlier, Tom. Um, Mbappe showed, after 80 quiet minutes, just why he is the talent that he is. And his second goal was was absolutely brilliant.
1: Yeah, it's... It's probably a, a feeling that's not shared among most Argentinian fans, but you've got to feel a little bit sorry for Mbappe. I don't think there's too much love for him in Argentina, <laughs> especially after his words um, before, well, a couple of months back about the level of South American sides. But, you know, to score a hat-trick in the final and, and still end up on the losing side. I think the fact that he'd, he'd already won a World Cup, and obviously that I was massively biased towards Argentina meant that I didn't lose any any sleep over it. But um, yeah, it just showed what a constant danger and why this front side, even when they don't look great, are always capable of just hitting you and uh, with that potential one-two knockout blow. Um, but I think you've also got to give credit to some of the other players there. I mean, we mentioned the subs. I thought Camavinga when he came on, especially slotting in at left back, I was kind of just trying to work out what the the French formation was doing at that point, but I thought Camavinga, Camavinga was brilliant when he came on. Colo Moani had you know some some real big moments, as I'm sure we'll get onto, and Turan was a handful as well. So it did give Argentina something to think about. Um, perhaps the the subs that Argentina put on didn't quite have the effect that they were they were hoping for. Usually we're we're used to see them switching to. Certainly when they brought in Acuna, having Acuna and Fico to sort of almost be a three at the back if they wanted. Or, you know, having two well, a full back and a wing back on that left hand side to tighten things up a, a, a bit. It just did lose a bit of the momentum. But you've got to give credit for how they picked themselves up, went again. I mean, Lautaro coming on and having a very um, mixed bag and quite an influential um, injury time. Um, I I think that, you know, fair play to him, getting very good in the build-up to the third goal. But yeah, there were some moments there, weren't there, that you felt, oh, is that his Higuain or Palacios moment?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, if Argentina had ended up losing the final, I think, unfortunately, Lautaro Martinez would have been that guy, wouldn't he? He would have been the, the one who was singled out in the, in the way that Higuain or Palacios were in 2014 um, and subsequently for Higuain in, in the Copa America as well. But he had a couple of really good chances, which he was unable to take. Um, but it just played into that drama, particularly in extra time. I mean, Mbappe had made it 2-2, two, two. unsure at that point what Argentina had left. It had been France that had made those changes. Those substitutes that you mentioned were having an impact far more so than the initial French eleven that Argentina had done brilliantly to basically completely nullify Griezmann, who was one of the players of the tournament going into the final, was anonymous, really. Um, and yet, again, like they did against the Netherlands, Argentina responded actually pretty well in, in extra time. They got themselves back in front once more and then there was still time for just remarkable few minutes in that extra time period. Not just, of course, another French equaliser, that the handball given against Montiel, who had come off the bench. Then even after that, Dibu Martinez with one of the saves of the tournament to keep it at 3-3 in the final minute of the game. And then after that, Argentina breaking up the other end and Lautaro Martinez having a very good chance as he miscued a header and put it off target. But just a breathless end to the game.
1: Yeah, it was absolutely nerve-wracking. It was that rollercoaster of emotion that we've had all tournament. Um, Yeah, it was so open. Usually, sides sort of decide that they want to take it to to penalties. They don't want to risk losing. But I, I really felt that, yeah, both sides... Went for it, they gave it absolutely everything. As you said, that dual save was absolutely incredible. Um, Just the way he spread himself, like a almost in a handball style, sort of Peter Schmeichel esque. Um, And again, bringing up memories of, of the Australia game as well, where okay, he's got so much praise for his penalty shootout saving, his penalty shootout antics, but those two saves will go down as two of the bigger saves. Um, in his career, particularly obviously that one in the final that that's, that keeps Argentina in it. But once it did go to penalties, I did I did fancy Argentina more in the penalties than France. I thought France probably had a better chance of of winning it in in extra time. Maybe not on the number of chances, but you just felt that they were always capable. With the defenses tiring, that they're pace on the break could could get in there and Mbappe and was in the groove at that point. But yeah, when it did get to the penalties, even though, you know, heads were in the hands, hearts were in the mouths, I just thought with Deo, you've always got a chance of, of saving a penalty or putting a player off and and Loris didn't just didn't fill me with that same sort of confidence. So even though they weren't playing for it, they're both trying to win it in extra time there. I don't think I think getting to penalties was probably um, more of a benefit for Argentina than it was for France.
0: Yeah, I mean Dibu Martinez at this stage is an automatic advantage <laughs> once it goes to penalties it seems. We we obviously saw him. He made himself a, a household name a favorite across the country in the Copa America with the, with the semi-final win against Colombia. He's done it again in this tournament with the Netherlands game and then again in the final where he was just the master in that situation again, a guy that just doesn't seem phased by the occasion, instead actually seems to relish, as we talked about in previous podcasts, the game going to penalties and it being suddenly his moment to shine. And he seems to just grow in stature. And You see all of the little mind games that come into play, and it was a great thread on Twitter, again, going into the minutiae mm-hmm. of, of that and showing <laughs> sort of the nice guy at the beginning but then, just subtle little things to try and put players off, and then gradually becoming a little bit more of the sort of pantomime villain as the the shootout goes on. If you're maybe if you're a neutral, anyway, not an Argentinian perspective, but gradually just increasing those uh, bits of gamesmanship to try and put players off. And you know certain players are going to be fairly oblivious to that and be able to to keep to their guns and uh, find the back of the net, but. You have to be very, very strong in those situations, and I think again, Martinez' big save, and then no doubt having an influence in the one that went wide of the post was the hero, or certainly one of the big heroes again, to solidify his iconic status now in Argentina.
1: Yeah, it's it's incredible the rise that he's had. You know, lots of stories of him being at the last World Cup, being like, right, I'm next next World Cup, I'm going to be there, which. So four years ago, I don't think anyone would have been expecting at all. Um, So his his rise, I think, is another another one of these stories that really connects with everyone in terms of your everyman player who's who's persevered and finally got to to the highest level. And then he's performed and come up with these saves and moments that will will make him go down in in history in Argentina you know he's I'm sure there's lots of conversations already ranking him probably in the top three or five Argentinian goalkeepers of all time maybe he's not quite had the longevity to be right there at the very top just yet but in terms of impact in a short amount of time that he's been in the squad then you know that that reputation is justified on a on a national team uh, level already. Obviously, some some uh, bizarre <laughs> <and just> moments <laughs> when he gets the golden glove at the end, which we've all come to expect now. Again, like you said, maybe not everyone's cup of tea, but if he's your player, which I have the benefit of saying for. For, for club as well, I can I can get behind him every every week. You absolutely love to see it, and um, again, just all adds to that that myth of him and and that kind of need almost to to have these larger than life personalities. When you when you've got a goalkeeper, definitely maybe a, a stereotypical South American trend, but he really does fit the bill of el loco <laughs> in in goal, and and um, that just all adds to the to the to the madness around it, but you know you you see the other side to him as well, consoling Mbappe, um, and and yeah, I think in the heat of the moment he can uh, he he can lose his head a bit, but you know when it when it all goes well, then um, yeah then, it, then it's all good. But um, I was also going to say as well that from the other side, it was it was really good to see those subs who who maybe didn't have an impact during the game. Be crucial in the penalties as well with, with Montiel obviously getting the winner um, he's shown himself very cool and composed to come on and, and be that guy who's trusted in penalty shootouts and there was, you know, especially having given away the, the, the penalty which I don't think you can blame too much um, on him, it's one of those things, it, it it had me having flashbacks to River versus Gremio in the Libertadores with the uh, the awarding of a late penalty for a kind of Arm, um, show elbow sort of as someone's turning away. So Montiel being on the on the reverse of that this time, but yeah, sh- showing nerves of steel to put that away, and and also Dubala, Perez contributing in the penalty shootout, and um, yeah, it was just a, a really good way that just sums up how this has been such a a team effort from Argentina and all the staff around the camp as well from the from the coaches to the analysts and and everyone really involved that that sense of togetherness and belonging was was just really on show throughout this tournament
0: yeah i mean with the penalties montiel throughout his career has shown himself to be an outstanding penalty taker it was no surprise perhaps to see him once he'd come on he he would be one of the five he's obviously the man that gets that historic moment i thought dibala was was the interesting one just because of mm. his almost non-existent involvement just getting that little showing off the bench almost as a as a way of getting everyone involved earlier in the tournament that was it and yet still being one of those people late on in extra time to obviously coming on with the intention i'll take one of the five it shows a huge amount of confidence in his own ability, because, you know, it's, it would be very easy for a guy who hasn't really had a huge amount of involvement to, to, to think, well, I'm going to get a winner's medal <laughs> regardless if we win it. But I certainly don't want to be the guy that didn't ever play, got one involvement, came on to take a penalty in the shootout and missed. Um, so huge credit to, to Dybala for, for coming on in that situation, putting himself forward and keeping his cool and scoring in that situation. Um, and obviously you mentioned Perez as well, who, who, as he showed earlier in the tournament, a great penalty taker and those kind of takers combined with a goalkeeper like dibu martinez do make argentina very difficult to beat in the shootouts as they've shown Um, you mentioned on there dibu winning the golden gloves argentina aside from mbappe somewhat uncomfortably having to pose there with his with his golden boot for the tournament did a clean sweep on the other awards Um, before we get to the main man enzo fernandez as we said prior to the final has clearly done his reputation no harm at all during this tournament and you can just keep on tallying up how high the price for I think Enzo is going to end up going when he leaves Benfica in the not too distant future but a young player of the tournament award for he uh, after another brilliant display in the final um, we talked before in the preview um, to the final about how important the midfield was, we looked at France as a potential weakness there in the central midfield and it, it, it it did play out that way in truth because Enzo Fernandez, Alexis McAllister, Rodrigo de Paul dominated the centre of the pitch. Griezmann, as we mentioned, talking earlier about his role being a lot more withdrawn for France during this tournament and coming into the midfield, was suddenly made to look like a bit of a tactical error because of the fact that Argentina, I thought, in the middle, was so dominant.
1: Yeah, it was a perfect performance from those three. They were just running all game you know you mentioned to Paul it it just felt like he was getting kicked a bit but he just kept on going and and Enzo and Alexis just had so much energy all the way through to the end I think I think it was Enzo who was up there with Lautaro and and um, Messi on, on the third goal just sort of allowing him to to get a bit further forward once Perez came on he's I think that's what makes him so impressive is the fact that he is so multifunctional in that midfield and that he's not been phased at any step up in his career. And, you know, you could argue even the last 12 months where he's gone from defensive justicia, winning, winning a title with them, going into the river squad and immediately becoming one of their most important players, fitting in at Benfica like he's been playing European football all his life and then having a huge impact at the world cup so it's been an incredible journey from him and it's shown again the ability to produce these these excellent players um and it's i think the the blessing in disguise of lo injury is that it allowed enzo to come in and and do do his bits but the the fact that he can i think in a lot of games the fact that he was entrusted with that deep lying midfield role as the guy who's setting the tempo who's protecting the back four which you know was was a very good and and solid back four but certainly um a pair of center backs that do play on the edge and we and we saw Coutinho Romero um maybe occasionally being a little bit fortunate with with some of the the challenges there and obviously Otamendi having um you know the first sort of ricks of his campaign there so to to have that pressure of being one of the key positions on the pitch for Argentina And just to absolutely relish it and thrive and all the energy and and youthful exuberance and line breaking that he's able to give you really, really was testament to um, what a fine player he he is and he's going to be. So, yeah, certainly that investment for, well, for both Benfica and the sell-on clause that River have got, that will certainly help pay for uh, any
0: stadium refurbishments that they've they've got there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine what the price may end up being. For Enzo Fernandez, whether it's in January, whether clubs make an approach, or whether it waits until the end of the uh, European season, but you could easily see it creeping up towards even, well, even toward more, more so towards 100 million. I think mm. rather than what some people are, are kind of talking about when they when they're mentioning more around 50, I think it would be. Much closer to 150, but we shall see. Um, Which, of course, brings us on when we're talking about the awards. We have to, again, stop and talk about a guy who, as we said last time, we almost run out of things to talk about. But this was Lionel Messi's final in many ways. Two goals to almost push Argentina to victory without the need for penalties. Scoring in the shootout as well. And this is a player who, before this tournament, so many people tried to pin Messi's greatness on this World Cup campaign. If Argentina didn't perform, then Messi wouldn't be able to be regarded as the best player of all time. They were questioning the fact that he wasn't able to score in the latter stages of a World Cup. And it was like a man possessed in Qatar this year round because it was Messi... Almost silencing all of those questions, scoring in every single game, going into the final, scoring twice, and then eventually getting his hands on that trophy after, of course, already picking up the best player award. Just another remarkable, remarkable game in the career of Messi.
1: Yeah, there's words can't describe what an impressive tournament, what a great game he had. He's just, as you said, completed football basically it's it's really really impressive impressive um he's almost transcended football and, and probably belongs to a, a different plane of just sportsmen who that you know that very very small category of athletes who are just ridiculously, ridiculously the best in their in their field. I don't think even before the tournament there was much of a, a real argument to be had about his greatness. But as you said, any anyone who might want to pipe up now is has has well and truly been put to bed there. I mean the fact that he's now got the most World Cup final appearances of any player, he's ahead of Batistuta's World Cup goals record. I think the only player to have scored in the group stage round of sixteen quarterfinals, semi-final and final of the same World Cup. It was, you know, Maradona-esque in terms of the way that I think it would be unfair to say that he dragged this team to the final because there's a lot of talent in this squad, as we've discussed. But the fact that he had that starring role, it wasn't just that Argentina won the World Cup and Messi playing, you know, having some moments and obviously contributing with that extra class. But he played such a crucial role um, for them, and and even the moments where he wasn't necessarily getting the goal or the assist, he was he was maybe the one who's opening the play up to allow them to get that goal, like we saw with the second goal for Argentina. He was he was involved in all the good things that the Argentina did. Obviously, gave away the ball for for France's um, second, so it wasn't uh, a flawless performance uh, from him in that sense. But that just kind of Made the the fact that the fairy tale had to undergo one or a couple more obstacles before he was able to do it just that even even more dramatic, even sweeter. So yeah, shades of '86, shades of '1990, but you know, I think there was so much goodwill towards Messi. That it's it's part I think of of what helped Argentina over the line was there was just so much momentum behind the squad in terms of every player was doing their absolute utmost to win this tournament for him. Um, He was doing everything that he possibly could. All the fans, whether they're the thousands and thousands of Argentinian fans who went out there or neutrals who were wanting Argentina to do well principally because of Messi, it all just culminated in this absolutely iconic never forget never forgettable moment this this moment when you're watching history unfold in in front of your eyes and and when we were speaking afterwards we neither of us could quite believe it actually happened because often history when you're in the moment passes you by a little bit but there was a real sense of just how iconic it was as it was happening and and sort of going back to that um you know that, that feel that there was a sense of destiny about it all, which, you know, we might scoff at from the, the more cynical side um, of, uh, of things, but that has been a theme that started from the... Well, before the tournament kicked off, throughout the tournament, the way things opened up, you know, I think you can, you can say that Argentina had a little bit of luck in the tournament, but I don't think having luck should necessarily be used as a criticism of a team because it's it's something that's out of their control. You can be the best team in the world and have a bit of bad luck or have a little bit of good luck. It's a, it's a vital component of any triumph. So, you know, maybe the avoidance of bad luck is luck in itself, but that that feeling of it just having to be his moment almost kind of manifested itself, it willed it into existence um, through everything there. So, yeah, it, it was... I don't think there's. We still quite appreciate what a moment this is in sports history, as much as we can say it now. It'll it'll only sink in years down the line or decades down the line when we're saying, you know, we were we were experiencing that as it happened. And um, yeah, you just it's it's just yeah one of the one of the best things I've ever witnessed.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, it was it was the messy factor that made it almost. Hard to believe because having watched his entire career and followed the ups, mainly at club level and the downs, which for a long time came with the national team. As I said at the start, you didn't necessarily know whether or not he would ever get this moment. To see him then getting his hands on the trophy in front of his teammates, lifting it up and going around the pitch on the shoulders of Sergio Aguero. Um you know, their brilliant friendship that we've seen over the years and him no longer part of the squad but still being very important members we saw in the celebrations, all just scenes that personally just never thought I would really see. So it, it didn't quite seem real in the moment to see them. It, it still doesn't, frankly, um, even as as we talk about them here. It's, you still have to kind of remind yourself that Argentina have won the World Cup and Messi's finally got hold of the trophy Um, and I think when people want to talk about luck that Argentina had which there was a lot of talk online certainly um, because it always attracts those kind of voices I I think in many occasions as well it was people who wanted to see that you know even yesterday in, in in the final when people were looking at the opening goal, the penalty that was awarded to Di Maria, the, the same people that you'd always expect almost to have their opinion, saying, "Oh, here we go, Argentina have been gifted another penalty." And for, for me, again, for me, and, and maybe I'm on the other end of the spectrum with with my bias, but you know, it, for me, it was an, another one of those where there, there is contact. Di Maria is clipped as he goes inside and makes that run. And, if it was any other team, I don't think anyone else would be up in arms to say it was was a bit of luck and Argentina were benefiting there from the referees. Um, at some stage, those people, I think, have to <laughs> simply put their hands up and, and credit Messi and Argentina for, for this triumph. Um, so, I mean, as we say, we run out of words for Lionel Messi, but just beyond... Uh, happy that he's now been able to tick that one off the list and uh, and lift the World Cup. A lot of speculation of course, Tom, anyway, um, with him winning the World Cup, whether, whether or not he won it regardless in the final, was how he may react to the final. Di Maria obviously had already announced that he would be retiring. A lot of questions would be, does Messi potentially lift the trophy and then sail off into the sunset? But Instead, we got a little Messi saying, no, I'm going to stick around for a bit longer. I, I quite want to wear the shirt as a world champion. Um So what do you think the future holds for, for Messi internationally?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's always interesting when Messi, in, in the heat of the moment after these tournaments, where he says, that's it, I'm done with the national team or no, I'm going to keep on going. I think you've always got to t- take it with a bit of a pinch of salt because obviously you know, can't even imagine what the, the emotions are going through, but sheer euphoria, you're not going to want that to end, you know, there's always that, that sort of fighting against the the dying of the light, but I think, you know, Messi probably not going to be around for another, another World Cup, although who knows, maybe he could be a an impact sub, just a, sort of strolling around the midfield um although i think that's probably probably unlikely but yeah i I think if anything it's going to be a case of him playing for the national team um certainly in this year now where it's pretty much friendlies until the world cup cycle um gets going again so there's going to be a sense of you know a way of being in front of the argentinian fans a way of sort of you know, not having too strenuous a um, a time for the next year or so, and and then who knows, maybe kick off that that World Cup cycle, see how we how far he can go. Maybe if it's possible, slowly start giving himself less of a central role for the national team, so they can kind of um, evolve into the future, but not necessarily have a complete absence of Messi straight away. That. Whoever comes in to f- fill his boots is going to be lumped with this with this real difficult task of, of being the man who replaces Messi for the national team. So maybe he's he's thinking, you know, what? I feel a, a real big part of this team. This, you know, obviously his link with Scaloni and the, and the and the coaching staff is so important. Maybe this is a way of him just slowly edging himself out of the, the you know the, the picture, but not having a not ne- needing a clean break necessarily so I think it's going to be really interesting um, and I think we've seen this as a guy who's so committed to the cause and he's he's been such a role model for these younger players that it's it's only going to be a plus having him having him on the team so we'll, we'll see what happens but um, yeah I think that's that's something that's a conversation for another day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and in general and going forward Tom how, how do you think Lionel you know, Scolani and the rest of the squad then progress. Obviously, we now not yet. Of course, we're, we're still enjoying the, winning the World Cup. But um, what do you see in the immediate future for Scaloni and the rest of the squad?
1: Well, probably about a week of celebrations <laughs> in, in the very immediate future. And obviously, um, on on Tuesday they'll they'll be arriving into Buenos Aires to, to to begin the celebrations in front of the fans. But no, I mean I think. There's a, there's a really good core of young players coming through in terms of McAllister, Julian, Enzo, even players who maybe didn't get as much game time, but Thiago Almada in the squad there as well. I think probably the key thing is is establishing a Lissandro and Kuti Romero centre-back partnership. But a lot of those midfielders are all in kind of the prime ages of their, their career. I think it's just going to be starting to, to bring... Through that that raft of um, good young talent that's that's on the fringes there, you know who's going to be the ne- the next Di Maria? I think that that might be more of a, an immediate question than, than who's going to replace Messi because that's obviously an impossible impossible job. So you know the likes of Garnaccio, I imagine could be quite a nice like for like um, long term successor to Di Maria, but for, for Scaloni it's you just got to sort of enjoy everything you can right now because you've. You've literally done everything you possibly could have done in that four-year cycle. I think that's another thing that just really, really hammers home what an achievement this is. You know, obviously we're we're talking about Argentina, we're talking about Messi, but the fact that they've managed to, to pull this turnaround off in in just four years from where they were in 2018, with a coach who didn't have a lot of experience, but has improved throughout his his career, who's always been humble, who's just been, you know, the perfect manager for this group of Argentinian players. I think it's going to be, he's not going to be able to top what he's done really. Maybe win a World Cup without Messi might be the, the only thing left for him to do. I think there's a danger of perhaps the only way is down from, from the top of the mountain. So I think it's hopefully he's going to be given a good amount of um patience and and hopefully not too much patience because you don't want to be living living on past glories forever but you know for the moment there's there's n- makes no sense to change this formula at the moment so yeah i think it's um i think we're probably not gonna really know what uh, w- what the future looks like for another year or so um and it's it's just all about basking in that incredible moment from this um fantastic four year four year period of the the scalonetta.
0: Yeah, and so it should be. It's it's been an astonishing ride really since twenty eighteen to go from that rebuilding project to finally winning a Copper America after another improved but disappointing Copper America prior to that. And to think that from that Copper America in twenty nineteen all the way through Until that Saudi Arabia game, Argentina didn't taste defeat, winning a Copa America, ending that long wait, beating Italy to win the Finalissima, coming into the World Cup as favourites, having that setback against Saudi Arabia and then still believing themselves, readjusting, going again and ending up as world champions, lifting the trophy for the third time. It's just astonishing. Um, And as you say, rightly, uh, for now, it's all about simply basking in that. on that note, we'll we'll of course wrap things up, um, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, to be talking about this World Cup. Of course, even more so given that Argentina ended up as champions. Um, but huge thanks uh, for taking the time out to be able to do these, and, and for us particularly being so prolific in recording.
1: Yeah, no, it's a um, not something that we've uh, we've managed to do over the years. We we got to the 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 50 podcast mark um, quite belatedly. But, um, you know, it's been, as you said, such a good way to sort of decompress after these games, to to talk about what something that has gone on to be an absolute historic um, achievement. You know, being able to talk about Messi, talk about Dibu Martinez, talk about Scoloni, talk about everything that has gone into this fantastic um campaign for Argentina and just um, culminating in that final to end all final so yeah it's been great and hopefully everyone out there's enjoyed uh, listening
0: to it as well yeah thank you uh, for listening um, hopefully we will be back a little bit more regularly we are planning already uh, the usual annual uh, 50, the best 50 young players from Argentina, which we're compiling at the moment. Once we have the 50, uh, we will do a podcast as we did last year or the year before, whenever it was the last time, um, to discuss our choices. uh, So keep your eyes and ears open for that one. Um, But thank you uh, for joining us during this World Cup. Thank you as well to Lionel Scaloni, Lionel Messi and the rest of the Argentina squad for lifting the World Cup. And uh, we'll be back hopefully very soon with more from the Galassian Podcast.